Hey everyone, for today's episode, I figured we'd try something a little different. Uh, it's a little bit of a longer series. We did a Q&A session for the gym with Chet Binning of Brain Ignition. Uh, he recently started his own podcast as well, Brain Ignition Radio. So if you're looking for more nutrition, um, conversations, tips, tricks, everything that Chet is awesome at, give that uh, a listen, check it out. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy our question and answer session with Chet Benning. So for today, guys, uh, we have a bunch of questions that you guys already sent. Um, I figured we'd start with those, cycle through them. And then uh, after that, um, if you guys have more questions beyond what what we kind of bring up, um, we could kind of shoot through those as well. Um, so yeah, um, we'll do it this way. I'll put you on guys on mute. And then if you have a question or something, like just put a, put it in the chat to start and then we'll, we'll let you pop on and ask a question to chat here. All right. So I guess we'll start with chat. Like for people that listen to this later, maybe, um, do you want to kind of explain your background? what your expertise is, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I always tell people that I, I don't like calling myself an expert. I don't, cause I see something every day or every week that I don't know yet. And I get frustrated that I don't know it. So I think maybe I'll be an expert in some things maybe in like 30 or 40 years. But um, so yeah, my background's actually in neuroscience. I did my master's at Western Um, and that was really how I kind of got into the nutrition space and health space a lot deeper. Um, I mean, I was always interested in it just through my athletic background and did a ton of preliminary research then and self-experimentation. But during my master's, I started my company brain ignition. And now I, I do a lot of consulting for, you know, clients, athletes, sports teams, um, and supplement companies now too. So it's, um, it's been awesome. I I love it. And I'm really grateful to be able to do this every day. Cool. Um, and that pretty well, like a lot of the questions ended up being about supplements. So that's, I think that's a perfect place to kind of start. Um, so the first question was, uh, what are your top three to five supplements you recommend for gym members during this nutrition challenge um, to support us daily in pre or during and post-workout. So to give you context on the challenge, we're doing a nutrition challenge for 10 weeks, workouts about six days a week, and then they're following a nutrition plan uh, of their choosing. So it could be zone, could be keto, it could be um, just whatever they want. Um, so yeah, top three to five supplements you recommend. Awesome. Good question. So my top three to five, um, I'll just give kind of, I don't want to call them general recommendations, but cause they will also support workout, but just because the question mentioned specifically like pre and post workout, but, um, and I can answer that specifically after, but I'll talk, I'll answer first, just three to five supplements that, these would be at the top of my list for absolutely everyone, including particularly during more workouts such as this challenge. And these are also going to support workout performance and recovery. So it's kind of like a, a catch all. 
Um, so first one on my list, always magnesium. Um, that's always my top answer for everyone. We know that a ton of people are deficient. So the research shows that at least over 50% of people are deficient, but then there's different cohorts that are even more commonly deficient than that. So um, I can think of one study postmenopausal women over, I think it was 82% were deficient in magnesium. Um, athletes always really high number of deficiency, 50 plus 50 percent plus at least. So magnesium is just a, it's an essential mineral, which means that we use it every single day, which means we need to consume it every single day. And it's, it is unfortunately pretty tricky to get from diet. This is why it's always first on my list. A lot of things you can get from diet magnesium, not really one of them. Um, we don't have to get into that, but big reason being is because uh, farming practices, soil quality, and that's definitely beyond my area of expertise, but I just know that this has been one of the, the reasons. So it's, it's, it's lower in fruits and vegetables even than it was say 10, 20 years ago. Um, so that's my first one. I think I should mention this cause it's so <laughs> magnesium, like many supplements, the form is most critical. So you'll go into your grocery store or pharmacy and you'll see like magnesium oxide, you'll see magnesium citrate, you'll see, you'll see all these different kinds. Some of them very poorly absorbed, others okay, and then others very well absorbed. So this is why you'll feel the difference if you take a higher quality one versus a lower quality one. So I think probably, I'll t John and I will set this up, but we'll, I'll post some links or something somewhere afterwards to kind of um, simplify this for you guys, because I know a lot of this stuff is kind of can be overwhelming at first, but you want to look for magnesium glycinate and or magnesium malate, um, a combination really good. Ultimately, those are both really good for absorption. Um, and, you know, we could go on and on, but you, you want to look for those. Some have those in combination. If you guys know me, you know that I'm, I'm biased towards the ATP labs. They have, or we have Synermag, um, that's one supplement I swear by, I can't live without. Um, so that would be a, a really good place to start. And I know someone asked about like possible tests to ask their doctor for later on um, or in another question. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll get to that later because magnesium would be a good one to look at too. So that's number one. Um, number two, probably zinc or a multivitamin. So two and three multivitamin and zinc, um, zinc, you can get pretty good amounts from diet, in fact, but it's from sources like oysters, which a lot of people don't like or don't eat. Um, some other seafood like shellfish. Um, you can get decent amounts from some red meat. Um, and then you can get some from, there's some nuts and seeds, like particularly Brazil nuts, but we, we don't know how much you actually absorb from nuts because they're bound to something called phytate, which blocks some of the absorption. So anyways, this is a big one. Um, zinc really beneficial for, and I, I maybe didn't explain this very well for magnesium, but zinc is really important for hormonal function, both men and women. So, um, I mean, lots of studies in men, for instance, that if zinc is deficient, their testosterone is going to be low women. It's also required for healthy menstrual cycles. 
um, really important for the immune system too. So this is one, and this is another one where <clears throat> we use it up every single day. So we have to continue replenishing it. Um, so this one, same thing, quality, um, look for say like a, a, a zinc gluconate it's called, or there's some other patented forms like l OptiZinc. Again, I usually just recommend what I know and what I know to be high quality and that's Sinner Zinc by ATP Labs. Um, but this one, zinc, more better able to get it from diet. And then multivitamin, <clears throat> I'd probably put this to uh, number two. And this is just because it is really hard with modern day food to get everything we need. And because we are exposed to so many you know, chemicals and toxins nowadays, um, less fresh air, less time in nature, more chemicals just every day, whether it be cosmetics or in our food or whatever. And all of this tends to deplete certain micronutrients. So that's, a, that's a really important one to replace. Um, thing to look for, for this kind of steer clear of your one a days. Um, this is usually surprising for people, but if you think about the size of those capsules, you can only fit so much. You can only pack so much into one of those capsules, right? And the amount of micronutrients we actually need for a multivitamin to do something is an amount that you cannot pack into a single capsule. It's just too small. So that means that when we take that one a day, we're getting like a, like a, a really tiny dose basically of you know, whatever micronutrients are on the label, but it's, it's not going to do anything because it's just not enough. So this is kind of the, the pain with multivitamins, a good one. You usually have to take several per day. Um, but that's just kind of the way it is. And it's something, it's an easy trick you can use to look out for, um, good quality ones. So maybe I'll leave it at that because, um, that one took me a long time and we want to get through the other ones. Yeah. <clears throat> Sweet. Um, next question, uh, playing with like the pre post during workout kind of thing is, uh, B is BPA something to take every day? And if so, should I be taking it pre or post workout? Yeah, that's a good question. We can knock that one off pretty quick. Um, so I wouldn't take it on non workout days. It's not going to do any harm. Um, I just think kind of like, sometimes less is more. So you, you don't really need to take that on um, non-workout days. Um, that being said, with your workout, best to take it during a workout. But again, like before, during or after, like it's ultimately not really going to make that much of a difference. The other thing to keep in mind with BCAs is you can get them from food. Um, so there's that, like it would be lower on my list of necessities for people who are consuming high protein, like we use this with our last challenge, like roughly one gram per pound. You don't really need BCAs in my opinion, unless you are doing like some pretty high volume stuff. Like if you get into like sometimes your two a days or competition, the open maybe would be another good example. It'd be good to add that in, but otherwise um, I wouldn't put it like really high on my list. And then um, maybe an extension of that, like BCAs versus EAs. Yeah, really good question too. Um, so BCAs are three of the nine essential amino acids. 
So the nine essential ones, these are what we need. We need all nine to actually build muscle, but the body in general and the brain needs all nine. They're essential because we have to get them from diet. Your body can't make them on its own. And so for a lot of people, EAAs are actually a better option than BCAAs. Again, it kind of just comes down to your protein intake and where you're getting your protein from. So usually if people are on like a plant-based diet, I'd typically recommend an EAA for them because plant protein sources are a little bit lower in those essential amino acids. Whereas, you know, the, the higher protein intake individual, particularly someone who eats a, a lot of eggs, a, a good amount of meat, um, you can kind of benefit from either one. But yeah, that's an important distinction. Um, perfect. And sorry, so I have one last yeah. thing, John. So I guess just for like overall general health, EAs would be better than BCAs. Because like I said, your whole body, immune system, brain, everything uses those EAAs. Um, next question. This is someone, I want to lose weight and uh, two things. So I want to lose weight and build muscle. Uh, what are your thoughts on supplements to achieve this goal? Um, should they be used? Should something more be added or substituted? Right. So I, I made a, a note on this one that I did not want to forget. Um, it's actually just like a, a goal or mindset thing. I would actually rewrite that to say, lose body fat or just improve body composition while, you know, building muscle. Cause if you think about just the goal, right off the bat, it, it kind of contradicts. Um, because if you want to gain muscle, well, that's going to add a couple pounds, but if your goal is to lose weight, it, it, it contradicts. Right. And we know, we don't have to talk about this now, but we know the problems with the scale and weighing yourself, but we've all seen those pictures before. Just think about the before after that we see where someone completely leans out, improves their body composition, but they've actually gained weight. Um, and that's a perfect example. So yeah, um, just think about that. And then some tactics for sure. So I actually, the above options would still be probably like one, two, three on my list. The other one though, I would definitely add is omega-3 fish oil. So this one has a, a lot of unique benefits for actually um, utilizing more fat and improving body composition, improving um, blood sugar health. And all of this is going to support those goals. It can also actually improve our ability to build muscle too. There's some really cool data, particularly in older individuals over, usually they use like over 60, but showing that you compare two groups, they do the exact same strength training program. The group who uses fish oil, they actually experience better lean muscle growth. And it's probably because of, I mean, there's many reasons, but because of an anti-inflammatory effect as well. Um, but omega-3 has some, some really cool effects on how our cells communicate. So it kind of makes them more sensitive to incoming signals. And one of those signals would be incoming muscle signals. So the muscle cell is, is literally more sensitive. So, um, yeah, so those would be my top options. And then 
if lean muscle is building lean muscle, um, a, a definite goal of yours, then creatine's got to be on there in my opinion. Um, yeah, five grams per day. It's, it doesn't have to be complicated. If anyone has any specific questions about <clears throat> um, creatine later on, I'd, I'd be happy to address those too. And in fact, speaking of the um, over the age of say roughly like 60, again, like even more data on creatine showing that it improves our ability to build lean muscle. And don't forget it's critical for the brain too. So improves memory, et cetera. Um, yeah, that leads perfectly into the next question. Uh, creatine versus collagen, uh, what is better value? And then uh, I'll just leave it at that to start. Yeah, so I don't know. <clears throat> Maybe I kind of interpreted this as better value as in like, if I had to pick one or the other, what would I benefit more from? Um, because they have two completely different goals and benefits, like just totally different. So creatine, I kind of just discussed there, um, briefly improves strength, power, ability to build lean muscle can improve recovery, can improve, um, brain health too, because creatine supports your brain's ability to make ATP, which is its primary energy source. So that's really important, really cool. Excuse me, collagen on the other hand, more so for um, skin health. So preventing like aging of skin, um, skin, what's the word? Elasticity is the word. Um, joint health though, another big one, like reducing joint pain, um, improving recovery from injuries, especially surgeries, especially ones that might have some scarring. Um, and then with collagen, remember, there is a big difference between type one versus type two. So you maybe just want to make a note of that. Like type one collagen is, for instance, you'll see organica collagen at Costco, tall white tub, green lid. This is type one. So that would be more for like your skin health doesn't really do anything for the joints type two a little bit trickier to find um you can find it on amazon by now foods it's called uc2 or atp has collagenic but type two is more so for um like i said your joint health and actually everyone a lot of people know what glucosamine is but type two collagen, the UC2 in particular, which is in collagenic, which is in the now foods one, it's been shown to be 79% more effective than glucosamine. So like just blows it out of the water. Um, so yeah, bang for your buck. I depends what your goals are, to be honest. Um, keep in mind, collagen takes some time. You're not going to notice the benefit right away. Um, so yeah, totally depends what your goals are, but hopefully that makes it easier to decide. Yeah. And then top three supplements to aid in recovery. Yeah. So these aren't going to be sexy either. Um, number one, magnesium hands down. Um, so the magnesium malate that I mentioned before that helps get magnesium into your muscles, which helps with recovery big time. Um, simple example. Like if you ever get like that restless leg feeling, particularly at nighttime, that's magnesium deficiency in muscles, probably. 
um, cramping, magnesium deficiency, the magnesium glycinate um, also supports, it's more so focused on like um, some brain magnesium, but also just like lowering stress mostly. So lowering stress and cortisol after a workout, the faster you can lower that stress, that racing heart, that your sweaty palms, get your pupils to return back down to normal. The faster you do that, the faster you're going to recover. So magnesium, number one, it's also going to improve your sleep. Um, zinc going to improve recovery because of the hormonal benefits I mentioned earlier, but also because of how it supports your immune system. So zinc is, I mean, your immune system requires it. All cells of your immune system require it. And, but also it, if, if we're low in zinc, our inflammation is going to be a little bit higher. So that matters because when you work out, um, any type of workout, we're creating high inflammation, right? That's why you say get sore muscles, for instance, or if you just wake up feeling really tired and a little groggy from a competition or whatever, that's a lot of inflammation. So again, the faster you can lower that, the faster you're going to recover and get those gains. So that's why I would keep zinc there. And then I'd probably say like electrolytes, to be honest, um, just keeping up with your minerals and electrolytes. And this is, this is your salt or sodium. This is your magnesium. This is also your zinc. Um, and this is your potassium. Those are the main ones. Calcium, you can throw that in there. Um, so to do this, don't have to supplement it. It's doable without. Um, so let's, we can just go down the list quickly. Sodium, that's easy. High quality salt, um, like a Himalayan sea salt or Redmond's real salt. Adding about a quarter teaspoon to that in your water, even a couple times a day, salting your food to taste. That'll satisfy that. We got our magnesium check supplementing that, um, zinc, maybe you're supplementing that or you're getting it from some foods. So we got that one potassium, uh, bananas, avocados, coconut water, coconut water around your workouts with some salt. Awesome for electrolytes and recovery. And then calcium. So, um, obviously some dairy, but also, um, some leafy greens, or if you like sardines or any of those good source of calcium as well, eggshells though, the best source. So, um, get eating your eggshells. Um, yeah, so those would be the three for sure. Cause the electrolytes, I mean, that's kind of obvious, I think prevent hydration and lots of other things, but just hydration. Um, great. So next question, we've covered a lot on vitamins to take daily for different goals and tasks. Um, I guess the follow-up would be, uh, should we go into the doctor to get tests done to see specifically? Oh what um uh, minerals vitamins should one be taking yeah i like this question um i've i've said this many times before i i wish and i hope in the future that these are easier to get and maybe even more standard of care um unfortunately i think a lot of doctors not all for sure, but a, a good majority, it seems don't like offering these tests. Um, 
I did my own, it, I didn't intend it to be an experiment, but there was a time where it, I was still at Western. I went to three different doctors again, kind of just by accident, but um, you know, one on campus, one walk-in there's one other. And I tried to get some of this lab work done and they just wouldn't give it to me because they just kind of looked at me and said like, you're young and you look healthy. So I don't think you need it. And to me, that's just kind of, that's just kind of perfectly outlines one of the big problems with our healthcare system nowadays, I think is it's, it's reactive and, and not really preventative because these markers, some of them, in my opinion, are just so incredibly valuable. Like in my mind, if we could have a baseline, you know, get a baseline now, we're feeling good, we feel healthy. Well, 10, 20 years from now, whatever, we start feeling something, um, not sure what's going on. You test these again and they can give you a ton of information. And some of them can even bring on symptoms as strong as like low mood and depression, like vitamin D. We know that low vitamin D is going to cause us to feel depressed. Um, so yeah, that's kind of just my, my rant about how I feel about those, but now some actual markers that you could get tested for, because definitely there's some, all doctors are awesome. Don't get me wrong. Some won't give it to you. That doesn't mean they're not good. I'm just saying some won't give them to you. So, um, yeah, so definitely give it a shot because, um, some will happily give it to you. Um, HSCRP, that would be the best one known as high sensitivity C-reactive protein. This is just a marker of your inflammation, just how much inflammation you have in the body. So that's really important. Um, RBC magnesium is the amount of magnesium in your red blood cells. This is, it's a better test than the most common one, which is serum magnesium. Because when they test serum magnesium, only about 1% of your body's magnesium is actually in the serum. So they're looking at the 1%. So if, and you can imagine the problem with that, right? Um, they say, well, your magnesium is fine because your levels are, are good. Well, that's 1%. Like what's my other 99% doing? So the RBC gives you a, a bit of a, a better look at this. And then probably vitamin D um, just because it is important for so many different things. And we're finding more out about that right now, especially with the virus going on, but that's a, a really important one. And those would probably be top three. Um, I have like a, a full Excel spreadsheet with probably like 50 plus markers that I would love to get a, a full panel done of, but those are top three and that can give you a ton of awesome information. I guess I'll throw one more in um, HbA1c it's called. So this gives you a snapshot of your average fasting blood sugar over the course of the last roughly, I think it's like, I think it's three to four weeks. Don't quote me on that, but it's better than just a single blood sugar recording because it gives you an average. A single one is not great because it could be affected by the workout you just did or the meal you just ate. So those would be top. Um, when you go, make sure you go take at least 24 hours off from your last workout. Um, I'd, I've worked with a client in the past, a hockey player, really high level hockey player actually his hscrp was through the roof and i was like 
what's going on, man? Like either you have some underlying like cancer or unknown injury or something. And he was like, Oh, I went out drinking the night before. I was like, okay, well that explains it. So there's a lot of things that can affect it. So, um, including a workout. So just be, and make sure you do it fasted, like at least 12 hours. Awesome. Uh, next question. Um, green drinks, yay or nay, not the green smoothie, but like the powder stuff you can mix with water. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you struggle to get your greens in, I think these are a, a good option. And like, particularly if you, um, like tend to eat a lot of processed foods still, or even like a moderate amount, because those do kind of tax your body a little bit. And those greens can sort of mitigate that a little bit. Um, but the, excuse me, definitely look for, I know it's hard, but look for like additives and fillers in those. Cause a lot of the times they just dump a bunch of sugar in there to make it, you know, sweeten it up. It shouldn't taste awesome. I don't think, um, I mean, certainly you can, you can sweeten it with like some non GMO stevia for instance, but, but look for those, like look for your artificial flavors and sweeteners. Um, and that's kind of a, a separate list, but, and well, I look for proprietary blends too. So that's kind of something you want to do your best to avoid, which just means that they're not actually telling you how much of each individual ingredient is in that product. So that's kind of like a, it's usually a bit of a red flag when it comes to supplements because, you know, they same thing that we talked about with the multivitamin. It looks awesome that they slap all those different ingredients on there and you're like, yeah, I'm getting all this stuff. But then you look at the proprietary blend and it's like super small serving of a hundred different ingredients. And then you realize, Oh, well, they've basically just sprinkled like each ingredient in there. So it's not even going to do anything. Yeah. That would be a whole other conversation, the branding versus like what's actually in there. Exactly. Yeah. And like, oftentimes I just like read about this stuff all day long. So I need to just kind of cut myself off there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> all right. Um, pretty specific to now which is fantastic i think and then um uh, so are there any vitamins mineral supplements we would prioritize for our kids now that they're homebound uh for virtual schooling so probably like staring at the computer all day just maybe not moving as much things yes like love this question too so i don't know why but the first thing i thought of with this one was like how to support like focus and attention with kids um, probably just because it's harder than usual to do this, I imagine. Um, so there's a couple in particular omega three, actually just having healthy amounts of omega three, again, whether in diet or with the help of supplements, you can do it with either one, but having adequate levels of omega three does improve focus. So like the classic example is all the research showing that, supplementing with omega-3 improves symptoms of ADHD, for instance, which is, you know, to me, that's not a yes or no. Like, do you have it? Do you not? That's on a, a, a like a continuum or a spectrum. And everyone is somewhere on that. And depending on your lifestyle, you can go one way or the other. Like I always joke 
but I'm also serious and say that if I didn't work out and eat healthy, I would have like full blown ADHD. And that's not to um, like downplay it or anything. I just know, like I've done high carb diets before and my mind is like, I mean, it's insane. And I wake up and I literally feel like anxious and, and depressed. So it is powerful. Um, so that would be the first one. Um, vitamin D, of course, for everyone right now, regardless of what's going on right now, I think this is one that everyone should be using. If you live in Canada, should be using it during the winter. Um, dosing for kids, if you are using supplements, just use the weight rule. So if you're using, um, you know, X serving at whatever, 200 pounds body weight and the kid is 50, just divide that dose by 25%. Um, pretty easy. Um, and then the other one, I would say this one probably doesn't get a lot of recognition. I don't think is adequate protein intake, particularly ones that have all of those EAAs that we talked about. Cause that too, if our protein intake is low, or if a kid's protein intake is low, they're going to be bouncing all over the place. They're not going to be able to pay as attention as well, but kind of like double bang for your buck is that adequate protein also supports your immune system because all those EAAs that we talked about, um, your leucine, your valine, iso, I mean, all of them, phenylalanine, those all are used by the immune system too. So, um, as energy for your immune system. So that's a big one. And that you could use, um, if they don't like high protein foods, which I know is common for kids, like a good whey protein, that's a great option. Um, a beef protein, a good vegan protein, like those can all be a good option there. And yeah, I think those are the big ones, kind of like your your top three. Perfect, Chet. Um, transitioning into more, <clears throat> I would say performance or like body specific uh, questions. Uh, what is a good goal uh, for amount of calories per day and how should I how should my nutrition support this um, right yeah. person specifically averaging about 500 per day based on exercise and daily movement that's I'm assuming that's the, okay. the amount burned based on their their watch or whatever suggestions they might be getting perfect okay I'm gonna just very quickly jump back to the vitamin D thing just on dosing <laughs> Um, I can't make, of course I, I can't make recommendations. I'm not a doctor, but just based on the research, typically what's shown as a recommended dose on the bottles is way too low. Um, since I can't ma make a recommendation, I'll tell you what I take, um, usually about 5,000 to 6,000 IU per day. If you want more information on this, um, dosing, um, potential risks of excess vitamin D, which I can tell you is like, you need to take an astronomical dose of vitamin D to have potential side effects. Um, but there's a safe story on my Instagram if you want more about that. So I just want to mention that because I know that uh, a lot of people think that kind of like your 500 IU or even a thousand per day is, is sufficient and it's uh, not going to do too much. So for the next one, good question too. Um, so again, depends what the goals are, but if we assume the goal is to like lean out, 
Um, this would be a good number to aim for. Again, totally depends on, well, some specifics for you. So we'll just kind of use like an example here. So let's say you've done a bod pod and you know what your resting metabolic rate is. So let's say it tells you that your resting metabolic rate is 2000 just without exercise. Well, then if you know that you're burning 500 calories per day, that's going to drop that down to, sorry, let me back up. Say your resting metabolic rate, 2000. Let's say you're eating 2000 calories per day. Well, then you know that with that additional 500 calories burnt, that's going to put you in a deficit. Hopefully that makes sense to everyone. So resting metabolic rate, 2000, that's just hypothetical. You could eat, um, say you're eating 1500 calories per day, that would put you in a 500 calorie deficit. And then if you add the, the exercise that would put you in a thousand calorie deficit, right? So, um, a thousand, by the way, is a lot like 500 is a good deficit, at least to start with. So I would say if hypothetical example, if you know, your resting metabolic rate and you know that you're burning 500 calories per day, eat about what your resting metabolic rate is at least for the beginning, at least for three to four weeks and see how things trend. Um, and then from there it, it gets sometimes tricky, but not always just how to adjust after that. But, um, yeah, I hopefully that helps that. I know that's maybe a little ambiguous, but the, the last thing I will say about that is, um, sometimes those apps not great for, um, accurately recording how many calories specifically like weightlifting or strength training sessions burn, because I think most of them go by heart rate. Well, you could do like a, a 10 by one at 90% of your max front squat and keep your heart rate very low throughout. And so I think a lot of them, they detect that and say, you know, you hardly burnt anything, but in reality, that's going to burn more than your like an hour of cardio will. The thing that it can't pick up on is this, the afterburn effect that we get from lifting weights, strength training, even the Metcons we do. And it, it can't pick up on that. And that's, and that's okay. It's not a big deal, but this afterburn effect is we know that when you do something like, you know, heavy squats, those Metcons, your, the rate at which you burn energy and calories speeds up for several hours afterwards, uh, 24 hours, sometimes, sometimes even like 72 hours later. So that's why, um, my vote is always with that type of training over like your steady state cardio or whatever. Um, they're both important, but that's just something to keep in mind. So don't get like down or dejected when you see, you do that workout and then look at your watch or whatever it is and be like, Oh shoot, I only burnt like 200 calories. Um, so yeah, sometimes you just have to use, use your own personal assessment. Like, you know, if your workout of strength training felt as hard or was as demanding as that other workout that says you burnt more calories, but did it actually feel the same? So hopefully that helps. Yeah. And the elements of, uh, calorie accounting where even the foods we're eating we can't get perfect amounts so then yeah. we add the exercise we can't get perfect amounts either because of the, the epoch effect and that recovery effect so 
um, yeah, from a mindset standpoint, it's not about, I would say, um, finding the perfect, this is the number of calories I should be burning and this is what I should be eating, but finding like the balance of like, I get, I'm happy doing this amount of work. I'm happy eating this amount of food and like trying to match it with your goals is really, yeah, really good point. I would add for that. Yeah. Cool. Um, right on next question. Um, I am, so this is, I'm waking up starving stomach oh, yeah. for the last few weeks. Could this be a metabolism ramping up? Should I push through or should I be eating right away when I wake up and listen to those signals? Um, yeah. Do you have a yeah, that's a, it's, I don't, it's kind of a tricky one just because I would have to know more specifics about the individuals, like how many calories they're eating, how much protein, what their hydration is, what their training is. But often, not always, but often this is like a classic symptom of, <laughs> we got an audience now, <laughs> um, classic symptom of some combination of either like, working out too much, actually not taking adequate rest days and, or not eating enough, particularly protein, sometimes carbohydrates to fuel that training volume. Um, and then kind of like part B to that is like your sleep. So maybe not sleeping enough, but let's say, um, let's assume you're sleeping enough and then kind of look to the other one. So, um, Thank you. Add a couple or add at least one rest day if you have not been taking rest days. So I would start there and then going forward, have at least one like absolute minimum one full rest day per week. So if you haven't been doing that, I mean, I can almost guarantee you that that's going to resolve that. Um, but you also have to worry about the, the calorie side of things, right? So if you've been, for example, like, um, like dieting down, so like eating lower calories, trying to lose that weight. And you've been doing that for a longer period of time. You're probably under consuming and need to increase your overall, usually total calories. But like I said, also look to your protein. Cause that could be the reason other reason, um, could be too low of carbohydrates actually. So we know that like keto and everything is the big craze, but you can dig yourself a hole where you're working out a ton and never eating carbohydrates. So again, if that's you, that's a likely solution as well. So throw in a day where you eat a bunch of carbohydrates, good carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, white rice, you know, fruits and so on. But, but um, having that kind of like quote unquote carb low day and then going forwards again if this was you you've been restricting them going forwards have at least a couple days per week where you have that higher carb day so if you're usually high fat you bring the fat down the carbs come up you do that one to two days a week and then kind of proceed um those are my like those are like the most likely scenarios um Again, it, it's kind of just an educated guess because I don't know the, the specifics with the individual, but this is kind of like some of the detective work that I would do with this person. Um, 
The other thing I'll say is like very rarely is this problem addressed with actually rolling out of bed and eating right away. Cause in fact, a good indicator of health and like metabolic function, everything is that you can wake up and actually go a little bit without food. Again, it doesn't have to be till like noon or whatever, but you should be able to say like, wake up, go for a walk, come back home and say like, eh, you know, I'm kind of hungry now, maybe not. I'm okay, but I'm, I'm going to eat. So the point being is you should be able to go a little bit. doesn't have to be a long time, but a little bit if you had to after waking without eating. And if you can, it's probably a signal of something else going on. Last question here. How do I maintain eating while in a social setting? Ah, right. Yeah. So like number one for me on this one was to eat well when you're in social isolation. So like eat well, when you're in control. So during the week, what you have for breakfast, what you have for lunch and so on and so forth, because that means when you get to that social situation, you can go a little off and it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. And in fact, it's going to be beneficial because you know, you're, you're having fun, you're enjoying time with friends or family and, and different foods. And that's really important. Everything wellness. Um, so that's the number one tool in my opinion. And then the other things, um, Sometimes it depends on the setting, but I think like a, a big thing is to practice and get good at saying no. Like I think as a kind of like as a, as a society nowadays, we really suck at this. Um, I mean, you just think about, think about all the holidays at work or I mean, everything. I, I actually, I heard this on a podcast, like um, actually it was by a, oh, what's her name? She used to be in the games, but now she's a, a family physician. Um, it'll come to me. But anyways, I, I actually heard this quote from her and it was, I thought it was awesome. It's that we're in this mindset now where treats are a reward. So junk food is a reward. And you just think about all the times over the course of a year that you or your family or your kids are exposed to this. I think when it's happening, whether it's birthday, Halloween, Easter, someone else's birthday, uh, a Friday or a Thursday at the time, it's like, Oh, you know, it's just one time. What's, what's the big deal. But if you think about it over the course of a year, like that's, I mean, it adds up to be incredible, right? Donuts at the office, people bring treats all through De December. And, and so anyway, so I think that's, um, I guess that outlines more of the problem, but the point is until we address that, like as a culture, really, I think we have to practice saying no and then expect and like be prepared for some blowback. Um, so this is, I used to joke about this all the time, but um, you're, you're going to have some blowback from people, right? Because you're going to turn down like a, a donut or a, a dessert or whatever. And they're going to say something like, you know, what are you dieting? <laughs> and they just kind of have like this snarky remark. So I just be prepared for those scenarios, I think to me. Um, and you can be prepared for that in a couple different ways. Um, some people 
they do better if they have like a legitimate quote unquote excuse, even if it's not true, just say like, oh, my doctor told me to avoid this, or I feel more energetic without it. Or you could even say something that like just totally catches the other person off guard and they don't really know what to say in response where like, oh, if I eat less of this, um, like it doesn't matter what it is. You just have to have like a, a, a stand, I think. So be good at saying no, practice some of those practical tools if you like. Um, and then I think other times it could be just at like a, a party or something like that. Maybe it's instead of hanging out at the snack table, you hang out with people that are not at the snack table. I, I think there's a thousand different possibilities and it depends on the situation. But um, I think above all else, those top two apply to everyone where it's like, be good when you're at home. So it doesn't matter as much. And then if you feel like that's not enough, then just get it like, you know, and be prepared for some, some blowback. Yeah, one thing I would add with like a tip for that would be um, just like the mindful eating side of things and like grabbing the smallest plate available. And then um, there's like studies where like, yeah. if you consume from that smaller plate bowl, whatever it is, your mind thinks you're more full than you were um from just finishing that that smaller uh plate size or serving size so um you get that satisfaction feeling and then cutting it off from there so then you're not overindulged to like just keep eating and eating and eating so um, yeah I, I think excuse me another good example would be I mean, let's say you're at a restaurant or whatever and you want a burger. Well, maybe you just make a compromise where you're going to get the burger, but instead of getting it with fries, you get it with like a salad. Um, so that's, that's an option, something like that. I think we often have like the all or none mindset where it's like, well, screw it. I'm just going to go all in. Um, but that stuff adds up too, right? Yeah. Pennies in the bank, make small yeah. decisions here and there. And then eventually it all adds up and helps with like the social settings and other spaces. So Cool.